Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. I will leave you in the safe and capable hands of Amy. So, hello. Uh, You're all a bit scary this morning. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Smiling is good. Um, When Simon asked me to do a talk, I said yes. And uh, my risk assessment brain thought, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? And short of a fine again. So hold tight. It will be fine. If I'm rubbish, it won't happen again. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So today I'm carrying on the talk on one Peter. And I'm focusing on joyful people in a hostile world. So that's quite a meaty subject to talk about, um, but I'm going to do my best today. And um, what better way than to just jump into the Bible? So um, I'm going to put some verses on the screen, so you don't need to necessarily find it in your Bible if you don't want to, but you can if you want to. It's a bit small, isn't it? Oops. Right, so dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. As if something strange were happening to you, instead be very glad For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. How do you feel when you read those verses? Now, I'm not saying it's happened to any of you, but sometimes when the person speaking says, read the Bible, my brain wanders. Anyone else? Maybe it's, I can't find it in the Bible, I can't get there quick enough, it's a different translation, or I maybe get a bit bored or a bit confused. I tend to switch off. Anyone else? A few. Most of you are like really good. Well done. Well, just in case that's happened to any of you, I thought, let's read it again in a different translation. Because what we've got to remember about the Bible is that when we read it in English, we're reading a translation. And there are things that are going to be missed because one word in biblical Greek can't be one word in English. So let's read it in a different translation. Let's read it in the message. And if you've ever heard of that, that's quite a modern day English translation. And really pay attention Really pay attention to what you think and what you feel and anything that confuses you whilst I'm reading this, if you, if you can. <coughs> Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. If you're abused because of Christ, count yourself fortunate. It's the spirit of God and his glory in you that brought you to the notice of others. If they're on you because you broke the law or disturbed the peace, that's a different matter. But if it's because you're a Christian, don't give it a second thought. 
Be proud of the distinguished status reflected in that name. It's judgment time for God's own family. We're first in line. And if it starts with us, think what it's going to be like for those who refuse God's message. If good people barely make it, what's in store for the bad? So if you find life difficult because you're doing what God said, take it in your stride. Trust him. He knows what he's doing and he'll keep on doing it. So I bet there are bits in there that you maybe had a double take on. Some of that's quite difficult to read. Actually, all of it's quite difficult to read. And I'm going to do my very best to answer a couple of questions, but I don't have all the answers. It's a shock to my husband, but I don't. (laughs) And um, I'm not going to share them all with you today. So I really encourage you, if there's anything in there that makes you go, "Mm, what's that about? There will be a reason that it's in there. It's not going to be easy to find. There's lots of the Bible that is confusing, but try and go away and find out what it is. So these are the questions that I'm trying to answer. Why should we be joyful? And why is the world hostile? Quite big questions and I'll do my best. To start with, I want to do a little quiz because otherwise you'll be listening to me all the time. And I thought what better prize for the quiz than something that claims to be joyful? These are Cadbury's bubbles of joy. They're not quite Marks and Spencers, but they're pretty good. And I have learned the hard way that chocolate is not the route to everlasting joy. I'll save you that one. You can try and eat as much as you like. You only feel sick at the end of it. (laughs) So the way that this is going to work is you can either use your brains or you can use Google. I really don't mind. But whoever has the answer first, stick your hand up and you get a chance to win a yoghurt. (laughs) So the first question is, who was the letter written to? Oh, dear. No one likes to... Okay, yep. Perfect. Perfect. So a mix of mostly Jews and some Gentiles across Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia in the Roman Empire. I don't know why I wrote those because I'd have to say them. (laughs) Um, Which is roughly modern day Turkey. So come and collect your prize at the end. So the next question is when was it written? And I'm looking at you guys who've preached on this before. You should know this. When was the book of 1 Peter written? I can see some of you got your phones out. Well, hold on. Okay, I'm just going to pick my favourite at the end and give someone else a yoghurt. Right, so the book of 1 Peter was likely written between AD 60 and 65. Okay. (laughs) Who was the Roman emperor when this book was written? It gets harder. Google is your friend on this one. Oh, yep, Simon. I'm sorry, I should. No, go for it. Is it Nero? Yes. 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 So, <laughs> Nero. I'll give that to me afterwards. Simon's going to give it away. <laughs> so, Nero was the emperor between 37 AD and 68 AD. And this is a completely random one, but when was the great fire of Rome? Ooh. I'm going to give you a little bit longer. Julian? No, not AD 67. Nearly. No, not 68. Oh, sorry, Mel. No, not quite. It's, it, the Great Fire of Rome was in AD 64. Oh, my mum got it, but I can't give her the prize. That would just be nepotism. <laughs> so, it caused widespread devastation before being brought under control after six days. 
You might be thinking, why on earth is she talking about fire so much in church? That's not what you should do. Well, what we've got to do when we read the Bible is we can't just take it completely out of context and read it as if it was exactly about us today. We need to look at what's going on in biblical times. And I want to share a little bit about the Great Fire of Rome with you. Now, if you paid attention, this book was likely written between AD 60 and AD 65, and the fire happened in AD 64. So this book was either being written just before the fire, which is most likely, or just after the fire. And what happened with this fire was, I'll, I'll show you a video in a minute, but basically it was, a, it was a fire that had nothing to do with followers of Jesus at the time, but was entirely blamed on followers of Jesus, and it led to widespread the widespread persecution um, and that is the context of where this book is written so I'm just going to play a video I think it's going to go fine um, and the sound should be on In Rome in 64 AD a massive and devastating fire rips through the city Three of the city's 14 regions are destroyed. Only four remain completely unscathed. It evidently takes six days to put the blaze out. The fire becomes a political nightmare for the emperor of the day, Nero. Public rumors begin to circulate that he actually started it himself. because everyone knew he wanted to remodel the city, and now, conveniently, much of it has been levelled. Nero's response is, for me, another major turning point for Christianity. With fingers pointing at him, Nero needs a scapegoat. The Roman historian Tacitus, writing around 50 years later, claims the emperor singled out and blamed the Christians. In the next few years, according to Tacitus, Nero orders Christians to be crucified, burnt alive, and suffer all sorts of terrible punishments. Nero kills himself just four years after the Great Fire of Rome. And while his memory is actively wiped out by his imperial successors, and public buildings like the Colosseum are built over his private park, Nero's accusation against the Christians seems to linger in the Roman political and public consciousness. What that was saying was um, that basically there was a great fire in Rome and this took place during a time when the emperor really wanted to rebuild everything. So it was quite convenient for that fire to take place at that time. Now, no one knows who started the fire. Some people started rumours that it was actually Nero. So he thought, right, who am I going to blame this on? Which scapegoat am I going to choose? I'm going to choose that weird group of people called the followers of the way and I'm going to blame them. That's actually where the word Christian came from. Christian today is quite a good word, but actually when it was first used, it just meant, ugh, Christians, ugh, them. 
It was a really derogatory name. It was like saying, I'm a Christian, is I've got body odour, that kind of thing. I don't, I hope. <laughs> so that's what was happening. The fire happened, and basically what happened to Christians was some of them were crucified. Um, some of them were actually burnt at the stake. It was really horrible. And the video there is from, I think, the National Geographic. So it's a widely known piece of fact. It's not anything to do with Christianity. Historians will tell you that that happened. Um, and so it sparked this massive amount of persecution. So... If we read these verses, bearing in mind that either very soon, or it just happened, a huge fire was going to cause a huge amount of persecution that involved people actually being burnt at the stake. For him to say, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you were going through, that had to sting when they read that. That is really relevant. The fact that he's saying, be very glad, you will have the wonderful joy... It's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Trust your lives to God and he will never fail you. When people are being persecuted to the point of death and being burnt, that is really, really weird. So when, when you look at the Bible in your context, you find two things. One, it's very relevant. So if the Bible's not feeling relevant to you, then maybe go and find out who it was relevant to and then that can translate to your lives. But two, it's ridiculous in a way. It's shocking. It's so counter-cultural. How can you say to someone suffering that much, be joyful? How can you say that to someone? And as I'm talking today, there are people in here who are suffering beyond what I can even imagine. And I really don't want you to feel as if I'm saying, just be happy through it. Just put a smile on your face. Just fake it till you make it. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what God is saying. These people are going through really awful things. And, you know, Peter said this to them because it was true. And that's what we need to try and remember. I just want to take a little side note, because there's a really interesting verse in here that really spoke to me. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. I don't think I need to tell you not to murder people. I think we've probably all... Christians have a habit, potentially of prying into people's affairs. I think we all have that habit, and maybe Christians have got a bit of a reputation. It's something I really struggle with. And there has to be a kind of correlation here. If, if you pry into people's affairs that don't involve you, you're going to suffer. That's what this verse says. So, um, ouch. That was an ouch moment for me. But, um, yeah, bear that in mind, because that's quite an interesting thing here. Okay. Um, I think the next one is going to be a video. And I found this really, really good talk by a comedian called Milton Jones. Have any of you heard of him? Yeah. And he's talking about why are Christians so weird. And it just ties in (laughs) slightly with this. It is from the Guardian newspaper. Um, We're not affiliated with any newspaper. I just like the video. Is Christianity too weird? I think God's creation is like him inexplicably clever, outrageously excessive, and a bit weird. But too many of us Christians just manage the a bit weird part. Often this isn't helped by the media, who try and find the oddest person with the most extreme views to represent Christianity. But sometimes we don't help ourselves. I mean, run it past me one more time. Jesus came to identify with the suffering of ordinary people... And now his chief representatives live in huge palaces and wear big pointy hats. And sometimes it's almost as if Christians can't cope with the fact that if you really do say sorry, God really does just let you off. 
So we have to make up other rules and special ways of talking to sort of help punish everyone. Often we're not very good at saying sorry ourselves. The Pope's first tweet was, praise the Lord. Perhaps it should have been, OMG, Earth not centre of universe, sos Copernicus, lol. (laughs) Yes, and to me, one of the mysteries of Christianity is why so many Christians rarely admit that so much of it is a mystery. So you might think to yourself, it's all a bit too weird. I mean, apart from being involved at the beginning of science, systems of government, philosophy, art, schools, hospitals, the emancipation of women, the abolition of slavery, social welfare, helping form the basis of the moral code most people live by, and introducing popular notions of justice, mercy, decency and compassion, what has Christianity ever really done for the world? I thought that was just a little bit of fun. (laughs) Okay. So... A major part of what what I'm talking about is joy. And so I decided to ask my small group what makes them joyful. And what happened was a very active WhatsApp conversation um, with certain things that I'm not going to share because they're just two two on the borderline. Thank you, Mark Newman. (laughs) He's at the back. (laughs) Um, But these are some of the things that people said. What makes you joyful? Spending time with my family. Seeing Harry Kane head one in in the 91st minute for England. Yep, that made people joyful. Laughing with friends. When someone I hate is voted out of Love Island. (laughs) Watching people grow in God. When people don't talk about Love Island all the time. (laughs) So, none of those mentioned suffering making them joyful. Although you could argue watching England play football and watching Love Island is a form of suffering in itself. But (laughs) nobody mentioned joy and suffering because the two just don't go together naturally. When you are suffering, what's some of the common emotions that you feel? You feel deflated, you feel sad, you feel maybe like you want to cry. Sometimes it might make us shut down and and block people out, might make us angry. That's the natural response to suffering and that's how humans were made because if we're suffering, it probably means we're in the wrong place. We're maybe getting hurt by fire and we need to move away. That's our natural response. Our natural response as animals is not to enjoy suffering. So why is this verse going on about being joyful in suffering? It doesn't make sense. Apart from Jesus. I tried to find reasons as to why they were saying this. Is there any background that sometimes suffering can be good for us and the nearest that I got was exercise when you're exercising and you're suffering you're building muscles but it feels awful as some people love it I'm not one of those when I'm exercising I hate it but it does have good benefits so that was the nearest that I came but actually you can't take that nice little example and put that to true suffering such as these early Christians were going through There are things that you go through that are not good no matter what. There are things that people go through that feel awful no matter what. And you can't argue with that. And as Christians, we're not called to just put a platitude over the top of anything. We're called to actually recognise suffering and how much it hurts. But Jesus is the difference. When you suffer and you choose against every instinct to trust Jesus, something happens. And it doesn't happen in your emotions all of the time, but it does happen, and I can't explain it, and you might think I'm crazy, and that's okay, because, (laughs) frankly, it is a bit crazy. But I've been in a place of real suffering. It probably doesn't compare to some of what you guys are going through. 
but I felt like I had no hope. I, I didn't know what to do when I wake up in the morning. Getting socks on in the morning was like a really big thing during that time. It was like, if I managed that, it was going to be a good day. And I was just completely broken. And I know that there are people in here who are completely broken as well. And I'm glad that I got to preach on these verses because I found the truth that in suffering, if you put your lot in with Jesus, if you put aside logic, if you put aside what makes sense to you and you just put your stake in with Jesus and say, I'm going to trust you no matter what I'm feeling. I'm going to choose to see that there's a light at the end of this tunnel even though I feel like I'm buried under it and that there's no way to see through there's something that happens in us. There's something that changes. There's something in the spiritual world I can't understand and I can't explain to you, but I know that it happens. You'll just have to take my word for it slightly. But it's true, and that's all I can actually offer you. I don't have much logic behind this. I'm sure there is logic, but all I can share is my own experience and try it out and see what happens. So these are the two questions that I've tried to answer this morning. Why should we be joyful? Well, frankly, I think if you're suffering to the extent that these early Christians were, you don't really have a choice about what you feel. If you're in such a devastated place, when you're seeing your friends die, you're being treated awfully for being who you are, for something you believe in, I don't think you can just set your mind to joy and have it be the only answer. I think a positive outlook in difficult circumstances is always going to be good and that's always going to help you. But I think there is definitely more to it. So we should be joyful by putting our trust in God, by putting our trust in Jesus who suffered for us. I think maybe I should have phrased it, why should we, instead of why are we joyful? I know that there are people here who've gone through awful things, who are going through awful things, and they know the love of Jesus, and they are happy. And it's kind of crazy, but why are you happy when this is happening to you? It's a real example of what Jesus can do. I'm not going to give you tips on how to be joyful, although, like I said, thinking positively really does help. But just put your trust in Jesus, and joy will come. It won't be there all the time. I'm not promising you that that all of your suffering is going to lead to you feeling ecstatic every day. I wish that was the case, but it's not. But you will find times where it's like the sun breaks through the clouds in your suffering. And it's like God has just taken the burden and he's given you the strength for the next step. And why is the world hostile? Well, I haven't really spoken that much about that today. But it's because, there's a verse in the Bible, and I can't remember the reference, but it talks about how when people come into contact with us, they come into contact with Jesus, and you have two reactions to Jesus. You either go, wow, this is the Son of God. This is amazing, I want more of it. So people are going to come into contact with us, and if we're living for Jesus, they'll they'll potentially see that in us and just really respond to that and think that's incredible. But there's another reaction to Jesus, which is hostility. And we definitely saw that in his life. Whether or not you're, you're a believer, it was definitely true that Jesus lived and that he was killed because of what he was saying. There's a definite hostile reaction to being a Christian. So, like this said, don't be surprised when that happens. But what I want to do today is to just spend a little bit of time um, praying for people who are going through difficult times. I've been using the word suffering as a kind of overarching word and that sounds a bit dramatic 
But what I really want to do is to just give people the chance whose lives are difficult to really make that chance to, to put their stake in Jesus again. And you might think, oh, my life's not really difficult, not compared to someone else. But actually, it doesn't matter how difficult it feels. It just matters that you're kind of being real with God. It might just be that you're a bit stressed at the moment. So what I'm going to ask is I'm just going to ask you all to kind of get comfortable. Maybe if you want to put your hands out, you can. If you, if you don't, that's fine. But I want to just pray for the Holy Spirit to come and to just speak to us because we might be suffering and not realising that we're suffering because so often we're so hectic and so busy. We might have difficult things that he wants to heal that we actually don't know about. Father God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that being okay is not enough for you. You don't want us to just be okay. You want us to be full of you, full of joy, full of hope. And God, I just pray now that your Holy Spirit will come and reveal to people, people who know you well and people who've maybe not met you before, just an image or a picture or a sense of something that you want to heal, that you want to change, that you want to just slightly change their perspective in. Come Holy Spirit. And if you feel that that's really speaking to you, um, I just ask you to, to stand up if you can. I know that there'll be people in here who are suffering too much to be able to stand, and that's okay. Um, I don't want you to do that. It's enough to just reach out to God. But if you're able to, to stand and just make that step of putting your claim in God and just saying, I don't understand this, I don't like this, I don't want this for my life, would you come and fix it? I just ask you to stand and come to the front now. That's a really difficult thing to do, but it can make a real difference to do that. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>